Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, sitting here with Ziggy Rodriguez. That's me. And of course, uh, <laughs> Venerable Tom Dorian is not with us today, but in his place, we have a beautiful, wonderful uh, gift from God for us here at the Catholic Cafe, but we have uh, one of the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles. Uh, I, I don't know if you've heard of this order, uh, but it's, it's wonderful. We're going to learn lots more about this. Uh, and we have Sister Scholastica. And I'll just use your sort of formal title, your full title, Sister Scholastica of the Holy Face. Yes. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful uh, title. And I might say, you have such a holy face and you have a beautiful face, but you would say that this reflects the face of Jesus, that there's the face of Jesus in you. (laughs) That's right. And I I, I ratify that, and I think that's beautiful. Sister Scholastica, thank you for joining us here in what we call it the Luxurious Corner Booth, but really it's like this sort of old Naga hide. You know, we we call it luxurious, but we we put uh, little air quotes around the luxurious part of it. Make yourself at home. (laughs) That's exactly right. So we are here, uh, and you are here with us to talk about something that was is rather um, uh, a phenomenon uh, that took place in the church. Uh, and, and you know, just all of a sudden on the map, not long ago, everybody hears about, uh, you know, Gower, Missouri. Most people don't say, like, hey, so what's going on in Gower, Missouri, <laughs> right? And that's the home of uh, your, your beautiful um, abbey. Uh, so the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles, uh, the sisters here, it's, it's a beautiful place. But it's not a place that people necessarily always knew about or know about. And then all of a sudden, right, uh, what happened? All of a sudden, just something, you know, showed up on the news. No, it's true. You have to really make an effort if you want to go to Gower. We're really not on the way to anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you have to come here quite deliberately. You can't deliberately. get there from here, they say, right? <laughs> it's it's yes. true. It's true. But the reason we've had tens of thousands of people at this point has been the discovery of our foundress, Sister Wilhelmina, whom we exhumed in April and found her to be incorrupt. And this is a tremendous blessing because there are only 200 documented cases of incorruptibility within the Catholic right. Church. Wow. Now, I just, I want to, now I will say that uh, the, your website says that she was like remarkably intact. I think yes. it's the phraseology it uses because yes. we, 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 I know that it was a shock when you I say some people, I think some of the sisters have said it wasn't a shock. Right. That's right? true. And I think a lot of people listening uh, in our, with our, I'll just say our modern sensibilities, um, we, we instantly want to cast doubt on things. Yes. Right? We're very skeptical as human beings now, especially with all the technology. You know, my, my kids, I have nine kids, and they grew up in an era where they actually, for a little while, thought dinosaurs were really walking around the earth mm-hmm. because of that movie Jurassic Park, because it looked so real, mm-hmm. right? Well, this was not like some kind of, uh, you know, graphic, you know, construction or Photoshop or something that, that happened here. Uh, and we're going to talk about this, uh, this event, you yes. know, over a course of several episodes. We, we want to sort of like take a deep dive into the Benedictines of Mary and really kind of understand Sister Wilhelmina, understand more uh, like your your charism, uh, where you came from, what you're doing, uh, and and really just how Sister Wilhelmina you know is is acting really even now more powerfully 
in the world than ever before. It's true. Yeah, so that's what we want to do. Uh, and I think maybe where we could start with all of this, uh, and we will go through the detail of like when the body was exhumed and, and the discovery, but we're just going to make people kind of wait a little bit because we really yes. do need a little, little background material. And that's, that's our great joy because the finding of her body created something of a sensation, but it was kind of missing the fact that she had such a beautiful life. Mm, yeah. Everyone is so taken by how she looks in death, but it's a pointing to her beautiful life that is still pointing to our Lord, who she was deeply in love with our Lord. She was always in love with him. And that's an awesome point that essentially um, her uh, remarkably intact body is not a reward that she acquired, but it's actually the natural, really how her body in, in, in a supernatural way, but in natural ways, uh, reflects her holiness throughout her life. Absolutely, because even in that quote of St. Benedict from his rule, when we were just speaking about the divine office, he says that your mind be in harmony with your voice. And this is symbolic of the whole Benedictine spirituality, that you would bring all the elements of your life in an integral presentation to the Lord, appointing to the Lord. And that was the gift of her life, that everything was pointing toward him. So, all right, so all the points of her life. So when did her life begin? Where, where, where did she start? Sister Wilmina was born in 1924 in St. Louis, Missouri, and it was within several years of the city of St. Louis actually voting to segregate the city. Mm-hmm. So she was we born... We should mention that she's an African-American. She's a black nun. Yes, she is. Right? Sorry. Sister. Yes, I didn't mention that. Well, I just... <laughs> because you're, you're bring, you start to bring that relevance into yes. uh, segregation. So... And she's, we're going to find that she plays a pivotal role in civil rights yes. uh, movement, and et cetera, in a very holy and beautiful way. But anyway, so she was born at that time when segregation was... A, a deep reality. Yeah. So already her parents were living in the neighborhood of the Ville, which is located just behind the Cathedral of St. Louis, very close mm. at hand. It's a beautiful area of St. Louis, and... At least uh, it, it was in its in its heyday, I think, close to the fairgrounds, and her her neighbors really worked to make it a beautiful place. Is that the Central West End? Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I, yes. I lived there actually. For okay, a, for very a few good, years. very good, <laughs> very good. So, un- unfortunately, you know, various parts of the city have fallen into decay, but but in its time, it was beautiful, and the people really bonded together to make it a beautiful place. Mm. Her parents included. Well, speaking of her parents, they started a school. They did. Right? I mean, we, we, we take a lot of things for granted that we're going to get to go to school, right? Yes. That there's a school for us. Yes. But you mentioned segregation. Yes. And it's like, well, how are our children going to get educated? That's right. And so her parents were instrumental in that. Yes. Her parents went to Sumner High School, which is the black Catholic high school in the area. They were not high school sweethearts. Right. Oh, okay. uh, in fact, In fact, her mother really detested her father because he was the star of the football team and she was a very very proper lady and she found his grammar to be absolutely atrocious oh so that was a major turnoff for her she didn't like him but she must have seen something (laughs) all the other girls were nutty about him but it was a turnoff for her this feels like a rom-com i love it (laughs) that's so funny So, so it wasn't until he started becoming interested in the Catholic faith through her, that they began talking more and more. Wow. And so Sister Wilmina's mother, Ella, was so excited that she brought this 
schoolmate of hers to the local priest and said, Father, this man would like to be baptized, and I would like to be his godmother. (laughs) And the priest looked at her and looked at him and said, No, you may not be his godmother. Because at the time, to be a godmother would be an impediment to marriage. And he saw that coming. Oh, so. <laughs> wow. So he had some x-ray vision going yes, he on. Did. He was in touch with the spirit. Yes, he did. So they, uh, once, you know, he was, he was baptized, obviously they, they got married eventually, yes, right? Yes, yes. Um, and I just, a lot of people don't stop and think, again, we take a lot of things for granted. Most of us, many of us are born into our Catholic faith, right? But here he wasn't Catholic. Yes. Uh, and then a lot of people wonder um, because now we're in the South. The Catholic Cafe is in the in the Deep South, and so we there's a there's a most of the African American uh, church experiences are not necessarily Catholic, right. and yet there has been a beautiful devotion uh, to the Catholic faith from our our Black families yes. for years and years, especially in the United States. Yes, and she had a really beautiful family. There were five children in the family. A very happy home, I think, and really an ordered family in that they work together very beautifully. And so her parents looked at the schooling situation and said, you know, there's not much of a Catholic presence in the Ville. So they actually took it upon themselves to found a Catholic high school. It was the first black Catholic high school to the west of the Mississippi. Wow. So your foundress was the daughter of a found, of founder yes. and a foundress. Yes. Um, That's right. And well, of course, then uh, she, when she graduated, she graduated a valedictorian. Yes. Now, there wasn't any kind of shenanigans there, right? It's like, no. well, I want my daughter to be valedictorian. No, no, no. <laughs> she obviously was a very smart. And, yes, and, she was. And she probably got that from her mom. Yes, yes. And her mother was what you would call a dynamic Catholic. She made at least 100 converts to the Catholic faith during her lifetime. Incredible, incredible. She was an so, woman. Uh, literally, she was, uh, you know, Sister Wilhelmina was was really born into that spirit. Yes, yes. Right. A pioneer we, spirit. We, we wonder as as parents uh, or as those that that hand on something like, what are we handing on to our children and to those who are in our care? What are we handing on? And so, obviously, uh, Ella, you said her name was Ella. Yes, Ella Turns. Right, was handing on, and 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 her husband handed on a beautiful charism uh, and love for the Catholic faith and, and that, that beautiful, that I imagine joy and fervent uh, faith is what attracted people and yes. brought them in, in many converts. Well, yes. I, I see a beautiful intersection here between the church domestic and the church universal. You know, you've got this family here of uh, Ella and her husband. Oscar. Oscar, yes. yes. <laughs> and that this is a the church domestic welcoming in children biological children and then welcoming in spiritual children and of a, like a hundred coming into the church and then through one of their daughters uh sister wilhelmina she becomes a mother to so many uh as well right yes. and and so uh, to an extent ella is sort of a spiritual grandmother that's true it's absolutely true <laughs> so it's, it's pretty true. powerful so, so pretty much soon after that uh, she got involved with the sisters of providence yes so the all sisters of providence were actually present at her graduation it was the second graduation graduating class at the high school, and she was the first accredited graduate because the, okay. the school was accredited when she was graduating. And so she went up right after her graduation ceremony to Sister Philomena of the Albright Sisters of Providence, and she said, I want to be an Albright Sister of Providence. And she she's just, at the tender age of like 17 or something, yes, right? She's a yes. young lady. And she had even written the mother superior at the age of 14 saying let me in wow and the mother superior wrote back saying you have to go to high school first 
And was so, she given the name Wilhelmina at birth, or is that no, no? Her name was Mary Elizabeth. Oh, and that's a lovely. yeah, it's, it's uh, so Saint Elizabeth's Parish was where she she would attend mass. So it was wow. largely in as a nod to that that she received the name Mary Elizabeth. And so her her nieces still call her Aunt Mary. We we find that really sweet. But uh, she actually became Sister Wilhelmina after joining the Oblate Sisters of Providence. And she was named after the pastor of St. Elizabeth's Church, Father William Marco. Father William Marco was one of a set of Jesuit brother priests who were heavily involved in the civil rights movement. Wow. So Father William Marco directed many young women to the Albright Sisters of Providence. Wow. And right after Sister Wilhelmina entered, Father William Marco was reassigned. He went up to Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. And then was assigned out to Washington State, I believe. So he, he was withdrawn from his work among blacks, but that's where his heart was. So is it like a portmanteau between William and Philomena then? Uh, actually, a little bit. It was more just the, the feminization of William. But that's really cool. It was funny, too, because she really wanted St. John the Baptist. She has oh, great devotion to him, but there was already a Sister Baptiste in the order, so she... she took the suggestion of her novice mistress. She said, you should be named after Father William Marco. And so she's all right. So she put in the name <laughs> Wilhelmina. And she said she was glad she, she got that name in retrospect because she's so dedicated to praying for priests. Well, she so, wore it well, obviously, yes. <laughs> as, as, we, as we can see. And so as she's, um, she obviously, uh, the, the, they say the, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So, you know, she comes from educators, you know, in, in starting a, a black Catholic school. Uh, and she became an educator. Yes. So she was a teacher for almost 50 years. Wow. Which is a long and arduous and rewarding and beautiful career, right? Yes. That she was basically done at the end yes. of that, right? <laughs> Many people might think that 50 years, you're, you know, you're retiring as a teacher or whatever. Mm. But amazingly, she was, she was uh, obviously dedicated. Yes. Yes. To this. There's, it sounds like, especially with, like, with her family like, and her mom, uh, you know, I was like creating converts, but like, you know, just, uh, just making conversion possible for so many people that that was in her heart. And it's obviously, you know, in educating, she's, she's all about transformation and about sharing and about giving and really, uh, you know, what they may not have called evangelization at the time, but that's exactly what it is. Right. And she, now was she in predominantly, obviously the, the black schools when she was doing that yes her first assignment was st cyprian's in washington dc and she largely taught in the south so in along the eastern seaboard from maryland down to florida but she was she had a very very illustrious career i think mostly teaching around the fourth grade that was her her level and then a lot of music music was her great love and she really passed that down on to us as well so her her 50-year teaching career um i I don't know, ceremoniously ended, or it was like time for a new phase. It was 1971. She, right. she came back to the mother house and began work as archivist, but she still would teach on the side a little bit. Yeah, well, so, you can't take that out. Right, exactly. right? You can't take that out of her heart. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So she's always like in the process of like conversion, yes. yeah, right? Yes. And that's beautiful. And But in, in there, in that period of time, um, you know, the church is going through a kind of a tumultuous time in terms of liturgy and uh, things like that. So there's like this... Uh, the Novus Order. This, there's this new order of Mass that's happening, uh, and then she, but she finds her way uh, uh, to, uh, I guess, with uh, some friends uh, to like Latin Mass, and yes. she started frequenting a Latin Mass. Yes. What was that experience like for her? And because I mean, she'd obviously been to the Latin Mass, right? Right. Right. So, so for her, it wasn't as though she were 
you know, in the Novus Ordo and then scandalized and then went back or anything right. like that. I want to be clear, in, that's not what happened. No, that's not what happened at all. But she was starting to see the effect of the music on her students. I think that was one of the main mm. points for her that made her say, okay, maybe something's not quite right here. Because what she did see was kind of a, an energy, a youthfulness, kind of a what can we bring to mass attitude kind of turning into, oh, ho-hum, we've heard this before. Right. And she was struck by that, especially when she was encouraged to teach some of the new music. And she saw there just wasn't this enthusiasm that she did see when she was teaching Gregorian chant. So, so she had a deeper appreciation for chant all yes, her life. Yes, exactly. Oh, okay. So, so it was, it's exactly the opposite of what you would think. Because mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s, they were in, really encouraging the use of folk music. Mm-hmm. And she was seeing the opposite effect of what was intended. So rather than enlivening her students, she found them getting more bored. So it's really interesting because I think they were reaching for things that they could only find in church, mm-hmm. not what they could hear on the radio. Mm-hmm. And that, that made a big difference to her because she, she was a formal chant instructor. Uh, I don't know if you know the Ward Method in Catholic University. I don't know that. Um, but they would regularly... If you've heard me chant, then you know that I don't know the word method. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually... It's, it was a beautiful method that was devised to teach children Gregorian chant. Oh, okay. And the Oblate Sisters of Providence were really into it. They all got certified as word instructors. So you could call up any student from a classroom and have them lead a sung mass that in the beautiful. 1950s and 60s. And they were excited about it. It was something that they, she saw a lot of enthusiasm there. But then when she started teaching the, the folk songs, again, she saw that drop in enthusiasm. And that's what made her think, okay, something's not quite right. She didn't question it too much further until at least a decade and a half later. Right. And it's interesting that um, we see this, and why it's important for us to look at all this history is because when we, I, I don't want to fast forward all the way, but essentially when we come up to today and we, and, and we see um, uh, the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles, and we see your charisms, and we see, when, like just to be, uh, to be at prayer with the sisters, to, be, to hear this, mm-hmm. it, is, it is supernatural. It is otherworldly. It is, you, you're leaving the world. Mm-hmm. Or the, the heavens coming to you are a, a mishmash of both. But either way, it is otherworldly. It's beautiful. Yes. And it takes you someplace. And there's something, and it's, the, it's interesting that, you know, that one of your charisms, it's, it's like really fundamentally founded around chant. And we have a whole show we're going to talk about that. Yes. <laughs> but I just, I, again, I just want to make that connection between who she, who she was as a child as she was growing up, and who she, you know, as God allowed her to blossom in His church, you know, who she became, uh, and what she saw that was important. She was moved uh, by this uh, this traditional liturgy. She was moved by the beautiful music. Yes, uh, and she didn't want that. To, she didn't want to let go of that. Right, and it's it's interesting too because it was almost like there were there was a dual realization in that. So she realized that she had to approach people on their own level. She had to meet them where they were and meet them with charity. And this charity would transcend even the racial tensions that she was confronting in her time in in the field of education. But on the other hand, she also saw that while there was this necessary familiar approach to other people, there was a necessary to restore the sacredness and something of a sense of separation with God in order that he wouldn't just be our buddy, Mm. but requiring the adoration and reverence that he was due. And then enter into greater love. 
And it was the Redemptorists in the uh, in the seventies that and Baltimore and DC that she uh, attended Latin Mass with the Redemptorists. Yes, that that's right? that's true. So Saint Mary's, old Saint Mary's in Washington DC, and Saint Alphonsus in Baltimore. Saint Alphonsus more than Saint Mary's, but actually that's how I found the order. Wow. I don't know if this is no, a good time to mention no, that. So, yeah. so I went to school in Northern Virginia and was taking a Latin class as part of the required curriculum. And part of the Latin class was to attend a Latin mass to hear the Latin being spoken, to be to hear it right. being pronounced. So it was more on a technical level that I was introduced to the Latin mass. It wasn't out of mm-hmm. you know uh, my own experiences or anything like that. So I went to the Latin mass at Old St. Mary's. Are the Redemptorists that they're still practicing the Latin? Uh, mass, no, it, it's the Redemptorists are no longer there, but it is still the Redemptorist Church wow. where Saint John Neumann and Blessed Francis Silos they worshipped in that church as well. Wow. So it's a historical church. It's a beautiful church. And when we came home from that mass, hearing the Gregorian chant, especially, my teenage brother was literally jumping up and down and telling my mother, "Oh, we have to go back to this place." Oh, awesome! So, so we went back to Old Saint Mary's, and the parishioners there said, "You know, there was this little black sister who used to." attend mass here just within the last few years we used to see her and we we don't know you know she's not she's not attending mass here anymore but we heard it's because she started a new community and you really need to look into that wow so (laughs) so you were like you didn't realize it but you were you were seeing like your future kind of laid out before you and that that's really i mean the lord works in amazing ways (laughs) to like allow you a glimpse Yes. Uh, and there's probably only in hindsight where you would realize, wow, that yes. was a, what a what a chance or providence. Yeah, absolutely providence. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she ended up connecting at the in the in the nineties with the, uh, the priestly fraternity of Saint Peter. Yes, that that's correct? correct. So she had just gone up to found the community by the time I was attending the Latin Mass at Old St. Mary's. And the fraternity actually invited her to start the community. Wow. It was They saw in her the experience that was needed to start a new community. Because, you know, you have people who just kind of come off the sidewalk and say, I think I'd like to start a new order. Well, when you go through the canonization process for saints, if you found an order, that's considered a miracle. Wow. Because it is so hard to get something off the ground that's actually going to work. But we were drawing from Sister Wilmina's own experience, her own fervor within religious life. And that's who we are today. We were were standing on the shoulders of a giant. Mm. And it's because of Sister Wilmina, her life experience. And people say, were you crazy starting an order at the age of 71? But we say, oh, no, we needed every year of that life given to God to help us get off the ground because it was absolutely miraculous. One thing that's also interesting is, uh, you know, she began with a religious order that was predominantly African-American and was catering to the education of African-American youth. And she ended up founding an order as an African-American woman. But the majority, I, I didn't. Do you have your sisters are almost all almost uh, all white? We have we have one black sister, and she has the name Sister Maria Batista. It's the name Sister Wilmina wanted. Oh, <laughs> that's right. That's great. That's great. And she's she's down at our daughter house. So we now have we have two houses. That's amazing. Uh, but I think that there's something uh, amazing in that. You know, in terms of. Uh, the difference, because that wouldn't have happened probably in the 1920s, right? And uh, the climate that we were in in this country, unfortunately, right. you know. Right. And it's a it's a powerful thing that you know she's founded this order, and there's there's something that is healing uh, just in that as well, yes. and and really attesting to the universality of the Catholic Church. Amen. Yeah. And I think in a time today when there's so many um, 
various orders that are kind of struggling for vocations and struggling a little bit. And I, I know that we don't want to have an air of triumphalism here at all, but I do think we want to recognize the fact that you guys are doing really well with yes. like a, a, that this, the, your charism and what you all are doing is attracting a lot of people. Yes. And we have finally reached the point this year for the first time ever where we are actually having to tell young women to wait because we don't have enough room. So well, I, I'm just I'm I'm going to make a little uh, prediction that because of the recent events with Sister Wilhelmina and her body uh, in death, I have a feeling that's going to explode even more. Yes. So you know, and I guess we should take this moment if if people want to contact and find out more about Sister Wilhelmina or about this particular order, the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles, how do they go about doing that? What's a good way to do that? Well, really, the best way is through our website, benedictinesofmary.org. And we do have various ways of contacting us, especially for vocations that would come through me. But also, there's ways to support the community, to learn about Sister Wilhelmina, uh, to submit favors granted. We've had a great many of those, which maybe we'll talk about a little bit sure. later. But Yeah, and also... Um, uh, when when uh, when uh, Ziggy and I here showed up on on site and look, it's a be- it's a beautiful campus here where we are. This this uh, beautiful land and you all are working the land and it's a it's a beautiful experience and a lovely lovely Abbey Church uh, and it's it's just it's just a marvelous little sort of I gotta just say it's a marvel in the middle of seemingly nowhere. And then you, these vocations are growing and now you have the daughter house that you're trying to to uh, to get off the ground in yes. terms of like you've got the you've got the vocation you've got the people oh yes right we just need a place to put them right, right? that's exactly right and so we're doing fundraising for that as yes. well so yes. and there's information about that on the website isn't there yes benedictinesofmary.org there is. uh to find out more about uh this um wonderful order about the the charism of the benedictines of mary and 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 also there's a whole section on sister wilhelmina yes yes uh, and you can find this uh information on on the benedictines of mary queen of apostles simply by googling sister wilhelmina and yes. it, it will it will it will show up it will redirect you <laughs> just because of all the uh, the recent attention uh that her uh, remarkably intact body has yes. created and yes. how beautiful that is so sister scholastica thank you so much for taking this time to talk to us today about uh, just the, the background yes. of what's going on and we have so much more uh, to cover here, but we and we don't have the time to do it in all in one show. So you all have to just kind of put pause and, and then come back to us. Uh, we're going to have another show right after this one that we're going to cover some more details in this. But we do want to take the moment now just because we've consecrated our show to Mary. Uh, and obviously, Mary's a very important part uh, of your order here. Yes. So let's ask our, our Blessed Mother for intercession. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God pray, pray for, for us sinners, sinners now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.